Hey, welcome to Bibliascola's Coffee Break. Uh, the whole idea of this is that hopefully in the time of a coffee break, we can bring up uh, items that we kind of touched on in the regular podcast, but didn't really deal with them very well or just brush past them. So it gives us an opportunity to better explore things that I'd like to take a minute and explore envy just a little deeper with you than I did in the podcast. So be blessed as we look into envy today. All right. Well, I'm Pastor Adrian Essigman, pastor of Osmer Baptist Church, and I'm part of the Biblia Scola team. And last uh, last week in the podcast, uh, I, I began to talk about envy a little bit, a subject near and dear to my heart. Uh, but I didn't think it proper to, you know, I don't know, take up the entire broadcast. So I'm going to use the coffee break to finish the Envy material. I- I'm going to start at the beginning so that if you haven't heard any of it, um, you're with us. And it- I'm going to start at the beginning because even if you heard me on Saturday, you may be a little fuzzy on some of the things I said. So here we go. Let's start with how Jesus and Envy related in the, the Pharisees in the New Testament. Um, so what we've got here is when Jesus is dragged before Pontius Pilate, uh, the Bible says in Matthew 27, 18 and Mark 15, 10, that Pilate knew the whole reason Jesus was there was because the Pharisees were envious of him. (laughs) You know, he knew no matter what they were saying, he was too shrewd of a political operator and the Lord maybe gave him this insight. And the Holy Scriptures confirm the, the fact he knew they delivered him out of envy. Um, so let's back up a little bit to one of the first big clashes Jesus and the Pharisees have in John 5. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Well, the interesting thing about that is the guy has been at this pool of Bethesda for years and years and years. He's waiting for the water to be troubled so he can be healed. I guess first one that gets in there does get healed. um, And no one ever gets him down there in time. Jesus could have healed this guy anytime he wanted. This guy wasn't going anywhere. But Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day. I think to set up the confrontation he's about to get with the Pharisees. I don't think Jesus did this to troll them. I think Jesus was honestly looking for an opportunity to confront them about himself. And it worked. Uh, they, uh, They found out what Jesus had done. And we'll pick it up in John 5. This is the NIV translation here, 16 and on. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Now, that's pretty serious. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, you might say, well, what's the big deal with working on the Sabbath? Well, if you read in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Numbers, Uh, someone was working on the Sabbath, and God said, yeah, that's a death penalty offense. You have to understand, under the Jewish law, breaking God's laws was a very serious thing. So it's not surprising that the Pharisees who feel that Jesus has violated now two of these commandments are so angry at him. 
Jesus gives a very brilliant defense of himself through the rest of John 5, even challenging them with the famous search of scripture. For in them, yes, think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, I just did that off the cuff. I'm sure that may not be word for word. But what I am saying is Jesus really gives a brilliant defense of who he is, what he's doing to these guys. Well, uh, we don't have another real clash until chapter 7 when Jesus goes up to the feast. And mostly it's just Jesus in the crowd. The Pharisees don't really engage him at that point. The crowd uses some of the Pharisees' rhetoric, which I'm not really going to get into right now. Uh, there's some other lines of defense the Pharisees had against Christ, but they really weren't based on the law necessarily. So um, so I really want to look at John 9. Uh, Jesus had just healed the blind man, and the Pharisees were, I don't know, interviewing this guy. Why? <laughs> I don't even know. They're not making any sense at this point. And um, at one point, the Pharisees say in John 9, 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. Now, that's pretty definitive, by the way, uh, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Like, Look, why would God break his own rules? He's, he's not from God. This is not a godly man. Um, and then we see they're still struggling with the blasphemy thing in John 10. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. They do struggle with this at the end of John 8 as well. Sorry, I should mention that too. But John 10, picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these uh, do you stone me? By the way, in John 7, that's what the crowd's argument is. Some of the people that kind of get saved here. They stay, they, you know, they, they're like, um, is Messiah going to do more miracles than this guy does? I mean, no one at this point is debating that Jesus does miracles. No, one was like, I, I think he's a con man. No, he had done too many. Everyone knew he'd really done these things. There's way too much evidence. Uh, I mean, he was just healing people left and right. They just people that, I mean, raising people from the dead, Jairus's daughter. I mean, that was a pretty big deal. So, so they, they couldn't deny his good works, right? They're talking about his miracles. So for which of these do you stone me? 33, well, we're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now that right there, again, that's an assumption on their part, but they're pretty declarative about that, that you've committed the sin of blasphemy because you're just a man. Now we know that Jesus is God and man. But they hadn't caught on to that yet. What's interesting is not the fact that they doubted Jesus' uh, Messiahship and divinity, but John 11. So Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. This is what happens next. John uh, 11.45, NIV version. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. And then he goes on, basically to say they should kill Jesus. My point is, in John 11, in private session, with all the, these are the leaders of Judaism. These are the gatekeepers. No one brings up, what are we going to do? This guy is an evil man, and he's breaking the Sabbath. That does not come up. 
Now, whether that's because Sadducees wouldn't have bought that line of reasoning, I, I don't know. But bottom line is, it didn't seem to mean that much to them. And they don't bring up blasphemy either. Ironically, that's what they convict Jesus on the Jewish part of his trial. They convict him of blasphemy. Doesn't come up. Neither of these points come up. They're like, we can't have this guy blaspheming God, or we can't have this guy breaking the Sabbath. They don't bring up either of these two points. They're more concerned about Jesus getting so popular, and I think that was their big problem, actually, that their rationalization, the Romans would come, then the temple would get taken away from them. All this bad stuff would follow. My point is, so everything theologically the Pharisees were saying against Jesus, they obviously didn't really mean. They had a different motive, and everything they say to Pilate, clearly they don't mean. They envy Jesus Christ. Now, we can see this clearer when we look at Paul, or not clearer, but even more clearly when we look at Paul with that in mind. In Acts 13, uh, 42 and on, this is King James Version. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought them that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of the Lord of God sorry and the next sabbath day came came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God but when the Jews saw the multitudes they were filled with envy and they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul contradicting and blaspheming notice they didn't have a single problem with Apparently, much of the doctrine that Paul was teaching, maybe they had some private reservation, I don't really know, but they don't really go to guns until they see the huge crowds gathering. I don't know what normally showed up for synagogue, but this sounds like a lot of people. And notice the Bible Bible says that they were moved, uh, filled with envy, and that's when they start contradicting Paul. So you have to understand they don't care about anything they're talking about. They have no real passion for what they're even arguing. They have passion for the fact that they're envious of Paul. In Acts 17, uh, the, the King James Version, the same kind of thing happens. Uh, this is Acts uh, 17, uh, 2 and on, King James Version. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening alleging that Christ must needs suffer and rise again from the dead. And that this was Jesus, whom I preached unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. Now watch this. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy. Now, why are they being moved with envy? Again, three Sabbath days and nothing really happens. They were moved with envy, not by what Paul was teaching, but by the results Paul was seeing. Now they're envious, and they make their move. Uh, gathered a company, and set the city in uproar, assaulted the house of Jason, uh, and sought to bring them out to the people. Okay, so the gatekeepers, and by the way, when you say Jews, and notice, I'm sorry, the baser sorts. So these Jewish men that kind of are the, like the gatekeepers of Judaism, because Paul and Jesus and the disciples were all Jews as well. They kind of view themselves as the gatekeepers of Judaism, I guess. What, 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 what is right and what is not right? They were the final arbiters, in their minds at least. And uh, so if you notice in Acts 17, it says they were, I believe not, moved with envy, took to themselves certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Again, you have people obsessed with the law, obsessed with teaching the law, 
aligning themselves with people of low moral character. That that doesn't make any sense. The Pharisees were extremely judgmental, I guess, naturally. It was a natural fall of theirs. I'm not saying every Pharisee, but Jesus uses the prayer of the publican and the tax collector, the tax collector, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee basically says, I'm glad I'm not like other men. He goes through this huge list of things that he does and other men like, you know, like this publican here. Publican is like, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And the story favors the publican or tax collector, uh, Jesus tells. So again, Pharisees have a very high view of themselves. It doesn't make any sense that they would align themselves with, quote unquote, evil people. But, uh, well, actually, uh, they were uh, people that really were disobedient to the Lord. But it, again, it was because I guess their principles and their belief systems really didn't matter when envy came into the picture. By the way, envy usually has this effect, even on real deal born-again Christians. James 3.16 warns us of this. It says, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So let me give you an example. Let's say several churches in the area have an Awana program. I mean, they're kind of spread out, but they, and everybody, you know, has kind of a nice little Awana program. Everybody does kind of well. And then maybe a new pastor comes into Church X, and the Awana program at that church suddenly grows to like, oh, I don't know, 100 kids. Uh, we used to, Gil and I used to work at a small country church, and um uh, our drop-off point to go there was this church that literally had, I, I don't know, I, 200, 100 kids. And it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere, kind of. I mean, it's not a major road, but it's kind of a very rural community. And the people there were very pleased and moved by what the Lord had done. And notice what the Lord had done, not what they had done. Kind of what Matt was insinuating in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with Paul, you know, watered and, and God gave the increase. You know, Paulus and God, yeah, I don't remember which one watered. It doesn't matter. but um. So anyway, um, so what if the other pastors in the area start having a real problem with the church having the big Awana? Well, I don't, I don't think they're doctrinally correct in what they're doing. You know, sometimes, not always, sometimes there are real concerns. I mean, obvious, you know, but sometimes some of the criticism has nothing to do with how they're running Awana. It has to do with that there have a lot of numbers and, you know, God is really blessing this one church for whatever reason he's doing that. Um, there, there could be sometimes in a church, one member envious of another. So at a church business meeting, the envious member opposes whatever the other member wants to do constantly. We're envious of a whole family. So anybody else suggests this, they're cool with it. But, uh, you know, whatever, Mac. Uh, I think we ought to start our Awana club. There you go. Not not jumping on Awana today. Just, uh, you know, there's Word of Life clubs too. There's Patch the Pirate, all kind of stuff. I want to do an Awana club. Oh, I can't do Awana. It's too expensive. I don't really like it. My cousin says blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but he doesn't mean anything he's really saying. He's no passion for it. He has passion with his envy against this other brother, Mac. So that's why I believe 1 Corinthians 3, 3 says it lists envy, strife, and division. It says, for year yet carnal whereas ye are envying strife and divisions. So here, I don't think that that's a separate list of items. I think that this is a um, a telescoping, kind of like a Revelation uh, plagues telescope, some people feel. So in other words, what I mean is it begins with envy. Envy is an internal attitude. It begins in your very heart. 
and then it moves out to strife. That's an external state of happiness with others and their decisions. Now you got strife in the church. Oh man, I hate going to business meetings. I hate going to VBS meetings. I hate going to patch the pirate meetings because man, every time it just seems like a knockdown, drag out fight. Well, sometimes that's because there's some envy under the surface. Not not always, but sometimes it moves into vision. People start taking sides, and. That's interesting. Of all the sins of the Corinthian church, this is what Paul brings out. He doesn't doesn't bring out some of the other sins that would be a lot more disturbing, like how about what's going on at communion and this massive sexual sin in the church? Yep, doesn't really come up right now. Uh, this is how Paul knows that they're carnal. Um, I think a lot of churches don't take envy, strife, and division extremely seriously, but I believe we should. Now, Jesus shows that in Luke uh, 6.45, where uh, how things come out of our heart. A good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaketh. So when you harbor a sin, envy in your heart, it's going to it's going to taint your life. It's going to affect things. That's going to come out in your words. Matthew 15, 11, King James Version. Uh, not that which goeth into a man defileth a man, but that which cometh out of his mouth, this defileth a man. That causes divisions, Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. You know, sometimes I think in the church we're way too tolerant of this area because we don't really view it as that big of a deal. If someone came to the church stone drunk or in a bikini, uh, you know, a micro bikini in the middle of the morning service, we'd probably have a problem with that. But sometimes somebody could just, just lambaste a bunch of people and we're like, well, that's just so-and-so, you know, oh, well. Uh, no, uh, maybe we should take more action than that. James 4, and that doesn't say people might not have be having a bad day or something like that. But if it's like always going on and they're causing people to split and constantly causing problems in the church, uh, Romans warns you against that. James 4. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? See, this is not just a modern church problem. Come they not hence even from your lusts that were in your members? Watch this. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. By the way, kill, Jesus says, hating people is just as bad as killing people according to God's law. Um, come they not from hence even of your lusts that were in your members? Uh, ye ask and receive not because ye ask and miss. You may consume it on your own lusts. Uh, ye adulterers and adulterers, no, you're not the friendship of the world is enemies of God. Jump to verse five. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now, you know what's interesting? Envy is and strife are such a big problem that Paul in one of the epistles, and I forgot to write it down, but it's like, hey, he's like, some preach Christ out of uh, honest things and some preach out of envy and strife, hoping to stick it to me. That Paul, he's such a bonehead. Why that Paul? He's. Um, and Paul's like, I praise God as long as Jesus Christ is being accurately preached. I, I praise the Lord. <sighs> so envy is a huge problem and maybe a culprit behind many church splits and problems. Again, not all. Uh, Barnabas and Paul's uh, separation had nothing to do with envy as far as we know. Uh, Philippians 4, 2, obviously, judicates to be sentient to be the same mind of the Lord. Again, envy is not mentioned. Um, you know, envy is not always a problem. When Paul rebukes Peter in Galatians, it's not because of envy. It's because of a, a slip into Judaism there. Um, so in conclusion, uh, Ecclesiastes 4.4, check it out later today if you get a chance. I'm running out of time. 
warns you that in some ways, a lot of success that happens in the United States and across the world has to do more with envy of the neighbor than a desire to uh, to achieve anything, which is really depressing. When you begin to think of your own motives, that's a little depressing. So envy can creep into your and my life. Maybe I can't control envy in other people's lives, but I can sure look for it in my own life and get rid of it. And envy can be jealousy of another coach, uh, another person at work, a person that won the award, uh, a better pastor, uh, or maybe a church God is blessing more. Maybe a pastor has a better gift than I have. Maybe people are singing another pastor's praises like David, uh, you know, and Saul is slain his thousands, David is his tens of thousands. You know, we need to take envy as a very serious sin because it can absolutely rip a church apart and eventually send people to hell because of the aftermath, the effect, and send believers away from Christ. Hope you enjoy this coffee break. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Biblia Scola. We hope you continue to express a desire to know more of God in His Word. Hey, look, please leave us a comment. If you have any questions or even just to encourage us, let us know that you were blessed. Our desire, though, is to educate and not to sow confusion. So please don't be afraid to ask, like, hey, I didn't understand that at all. Uh, this is a production of Presbyterian Baptist Church and Ostomer Baptist Church, coincidentally, where Matt and I both pastor from. And may I just close by saying, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. God bless.